0: And thank you, Ben. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a text that the Lord has laid on my heart, and this uh, chapel service wasn't on my calendar, but it was on the Lord's calendar. And these are some thoughts that I challenged the faculty with in our faculty in service. And. The best kind of challenges are the ones that God uses in your heart and continues to use in your heart, and there have been some messages that I've preached before that I'm not sure how they touched anybody else, but I know that the Spirit of God used them in me, and uh, it was interesting. uh, On Tuesday, Dr. Backrich preached, and I just, I already knew kind of where I was going, and and when he preached it was just I just kind of felt like this is this is god saying there's some truths that i want to make sure that the maranatha family knows it is it is about our life and it's about what we're doing it's about the fact that someday we're going to stand before jesus it's it's about us being different than the rest of the world even people that have good purposes and are doing good things, there's something unique about believers. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to see as this text unfolds a little bit of an encouragement, I believe a focus for our hearts and a commitment that we can make, and, a, and, and I trust that God will use it in, in each of us. Question for you, how many of you have ever been to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C.? Okay, that's maybe a quarter or a third of everyone. It's a fantastic museum. I mean, you could, take, you could take an entire week just exploring all of the different facets of it. But a couple of years ago, our family went to the Smithsonian, and there in a glass case, I saw one of the most valuable gemstones in all of human history. It has a name. It is called the Hope Diamond. It is 45 carats, and it is, it is blue like an iceberg in the Pacific. It is a brilliant, stunning, and, and valuable stone. Well, how valuable is it? Well, there's no doubt it's beautiful and precious, but here's the thing. It's sitting in a glass case. But what if the diamond could be spent? What could it do? I mean, it could the value of it could, could pay for thousands of life-saving medical treatments for people. You could take the value of that diamond in a region that was devastated by famine and people were dying of starvation. You could provide for the entire region to be saved from that fate. Possibly even in the right circumstances, the value of that gemstone could be leveraged to prevent a war that would have catastrophic effects on the lives of humans and countries. As we come to the epistle of 2 Corinthians, we understand that this letter is a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church because he loved them and because they were at a dangerous crossroads relating to their very life and the purpose for them being there. You see, many of these Corinthians... Were, were believing that, that Christianity was something that they could kind of chart their own course. They could make it what they wanted it to be. They could kind of have Jesus and have their own way of living for him at the same time. But as Paul wrote to them, his theme is for, to call them to submit themselves to what Christ wanted them to be. In chapters 3 and 4, as Paul is kind of defending his ministry, he shares his New Covenant ministry and his purpose for the gospel, and and it's all about ministry. But when he gets to chapter 4, beginning of verse 7, he tells his testimony in a broader sense, and he invites every one of the Corinthians to possess the same way of thinking and the same priorities that he had in his mission for Christ. And so as I think about us today today, I want us to understand that we are at the same crossroads as those Corinthians. We are at a place where we are, we are contemplating our life. We are contemplating who we want to be. Do we want Jesus a, as kind of a, a, a background figure in our life because we have a goal and we have a desire and we're pursuing something for us? Or are we pursuing Christ? Alone and primary. So, if I were to ask you this morning, how valuable is your life? I'm not asking how valuable you are, but rather, how valuable is the life that you are living on this earth? Someday you're going to stand before God. You're going to be evaluated, not on the basis of your preciousness, but on the basis of your usefulness for things that eternally matter. And so this morning, I'd like to encourage you today to live your life on purpose, to leverage the value that God has given you to invest in something eternally valuable. So the title of the message this morning is A Life on Mission for the Glory of God. And I'm just going to preview the outline real briefly because, because every mission has three components. So if you have a mission, if you're living on mission, there's three parts of it. Uh, the three parts are the outline this morning, a goal, a process, and a commitment. And so how do those things go into a mission? Well, if if something only has a goal, then it's just wishful thinking. If it only has a process, then it's just doing. And if it only has a commitment, then we would just call that tradition. But we want all three of them because we want to live a life that is on mission for the glory of God. And so what does that look like? Well, first of all, we see our goal. Our goal is to live for Jesus' sake. Now, I had you open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want you just to glance down at verse 11, and I want to show you where we find that goal, and then I want to see us, I want to help us to see how we can, how we can actually achieve that as our goal. So in verse 11, Paul says, For we which live are always delivered unto death, for Jesus' sake. Paul said, I'm living my life. I'm living sacrificially. Why? What is it all about? It is for Jesus' sake. If, if we wanted to just say, boil my goal down to one commitment statement, that's what it would be. I must live for the sake of my Savior Jesus. That means that Jesus Christ is my goal above every other goal. I'm living for him. I'm not living for the American dream. I'm living for his success, not my success. I'm achieving things that he wants me to do, not ultimately and first what I want to do. He is the goal of my week. He is the goal of my day. He is the goal of every relationship. And every goal that I set is a lesser goal under the greater goal of for jesus sake he is the direction of my life and so we we can look at scripture for a simple illustration of this and so you 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 graduate from maranatha you get employed you go to work and you're doing a great job and your boss says hey you're working hard and i can trust you and all and you ask yourself the question why am i working hard why do i show up every day why do i do quality work and the answer there determines whether or not you're living for the goal of Jesus. Colossians 3:23 Paul tells us our perspective. He says, "And whatever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men." I'm not working hard, I'm not doing quality work for the sake of what my boss will say or for the sake of what, of what how it will affect my fellow employees or even the good that it might bring to to our customers. It's first and foremost, unto the Lord. That sounds really great, to live for Jesus' sake. But, but there's something to it. There's, there's got to be some, some process about how we make that happen, about how we live that out. Uh, how do we make living for Jesus' sake our goal? And, and I want to draw your attention back to verse 7 and, and this is kind of where Paul begins building this perspective, we need to remember our gospel identity. Like, who are we? We kind of talked about our value at the beginning, and, and we see in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so in that verse, we find our gospel identity, and, and it's a little bit of a different way of thinking about gospel identity Then maybe we've considered it before. Christians like to talk about my identity is in Christ and my identity is the gospel. And if we're not careful, what it means is I think that I'm pretty awesome. I mean, I was okay, and then I got Jesus, and now I'm a princess, and now I'm a king, and now I'm, you know, I'm awesome because, you know, my identity is in Christ. And and somehow we've kind of switched something around there. And and in this passage, Paul completely changes that around. And I want you to notice this. He says in verse 7 that we have this treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The gospel is the treasure. The gospel is your treasure. Who are you? You are not even a cool treasure chest. You are a clay pot. A clay pot was the common household vessel back in Paul's day. It would be kind of like us today saying that we have the treasure of the gospel in microwavable, rubber-made containers. That's you. Maybe it's got some spaghetti stains on it from the last time you microwaved spaghetti. How many of you are like, wow, that sounds glamorous. Yes, that's who. But, but, okay, now you might be thinking, okay, Dr. Brock, I thought I was a princess a moment ago. Now you're telling me I'm a piece of plastic hardware? That sounds like I'm not very valuable. And I, and I want you to notice this full picture in verse 7. Paul says, listen, we have this treasure the treasure of the gospel we have it you possess it if you've come to christ as your savior we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of god and not of us when you consider the entire package the entire power of the Godhead resides in you. The valuable treasure of the gospel resides in you. The package is decidedly incredibly precious and incredibly valuable and incredibly powerful. And and for us as Christians to understand that in that equation it's really all about God and not really about me. That perspective will begin to change your goal. Because I'm not going to live my life for a Tupperware vessel. But I'm going to live my life for the treasure. And who gave it to me. And who empowers me. And so the point Paul is making is that, that we are not God's gift to the world. The gospel is God's gift to us to allow us to impact the world for his glory. We do this as the text continues in verse 8 and 9, by trusting in Christ's sufficiency. Man, if I'm nothing, if I'm just kind of this lowly thing and all of the power belongs to God, doesn't that make me vulnerable? No, we trust the sufficiency of Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. Paul says we are troubled on every side. That is speaking of pressure and hardship being upon us. Right now, some of you are feeling that big time. You are feeling pressure, and you are feeling frustration, and you are, you are feeling like, like I don't know that I can keep doing this. I, I, I feel like I'm at the end of myself, and things are getting impossible. That is exactly what Paul is communicating. But notice, he says we are troubled on every side, but yet not distressed. That word distressed means to be hemmed in so that there's no way out. And through the power of God... In the gospel that we possess, there is no such thing as an impossible circumstance for us as believers. Our goal is Christ. That's what's true. It says we are perplexed. That is to be uncertain or anxious or in doubt. This speaks to the fact that there is going to be uncertainty in life. And it's going to be frustrating at times. And we may be uncertain but we're not in despair. That is utter despair. We don't give up. We, don't, we know that, we know that there's, there's something around the corner. We know that God is working. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. So this is to be abandoned or isolated, but we are not left alone. So the world may do that, but God doesn't. We are cast down to suffer pain or injury, but not destroyed. We're not ruined. And Paul just gives us this quick list so that as we're thinking our, of ourselves as these, these simple clay vessels with the treasure of the gospel within us, that we understand that that's actually a really, really secure place to be. So how can we make living for Jesus' sake our goal? We got to remember our gospel identity and trust Christ's efficiency, and, and in that we can choose to live sacrificially for Christ's testimony. Verses 10 and 11 is where he kind of brings this goal to the forefront. He says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And so, Paul gives this metaphor of dying. Of being delivered to death. All of us know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But we do, what we don't often think about is that every day that Jesus lived on this earth, he was dying. He was sacrificing. He was giving away. He was setting aside because he had a goal. He had a purpose. He had a mission. Jesus didn't He didn't pursue the Judean dream until the moment where he had to sacrifice his life. His entire life was devoted to his mission to ransom you and me. And when the Apostle Paul gives his testimony and calls us to the same perspective, he calls us to live a life of dying. To live a life that is not just, okay, Maybe I'll give a little bit to the Lord or maybe I'll do a little something for him or maybe there will be a moment where I have to choose Jesus and it will cost me everything. But, but really, it's, it's not, you know, that day will come and I'm just going to do my thing and live my life and try to be successful and try to get what I can get while I can get it. And that's distinctly not what this goal is all about. Being delivered to death is the price of living for Jesus' sake. It's the sacrifice of our own life in order to follow the example of Jesus' sacrificial life. It means that we live for him, knowing that we will face trouble, knowing that we will face uncertainty and opposition. But because our goal is Jesus, our goal is not to avoid that stuff. Then then we see the the sufficiency of Christ support us. In verse 11, uh, Paul tells us that that this goal is, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so this, this whole process of living for Jesus' sake is about making Jesus look beautiful. And so one scholar has described this picture about bearing in our body or making Jesus manifest in our body. And he draws a parallel between the religious parades of the ancient Near East. And so what would happen as a pagan deity, uh, people would be following this pagan deity and they would want to gain some more followers. And so they would take and, and they would get a procession and they would have people dress up and they would have statues and they would be holding them on pedestals and they would make noise and draw attention. And as they went through the villages, people would see this pagan deity. They'd be like, wow. And it, it would make that God visible to people. I've been in India a couple times and I've seen this. 30 million gods... And when a local group decides that they've got a special one, this is our God, and we want people to know about him, I've seen the men wear these white robes and, 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 and beat drums, and they've got, uh, they've got wraps on their head, and they've got the women in these bright color clothes, and they've got flower petals, and they've got the pedestal and the gold statue, and they're beating the drums, and, and everyone just pauses and watches, and they see this deity on display. We don't do those parades. You and I are those parades for the one true and living God. A life that is lived, understanding who we are in the gospel, understanding our sufficiency in Christ, and understanding that our goal is to live the dying of Jesus so that Jesus looks beautiful. I don't know how to explain it. Besides, there is something very attractive about Jesus when we live for him as our goal. And it is, it draws people, it draws hearts, it makes an impact. So, that is our goal, to live for Jesus' sake. But we're trying to live a life on mission. And and sometimes it's like, okay, I've got this goal. But remember, if we don't have a process, it's just wishful thinking. Probably most of us in here are like, oh yeah, that'd be great. I want to live my life for Jesus' sake. I, I want to make Jesus look beautiful. That that warms my heart. Okay? How are we going to do it? The process, our process is to impact others for the glory of God. This is Paul's testimony. He's going to be sharing it with us. And so we should be living sacrificially to be truly manifesting the life of Jesus. But but here's the thing this is not just living with hardship and difficulty. This is living with the hardship and difficulty that comes by living on mission for Christ. What is the mission of Jesus today? Like like what is Jesus all about today? Well Jesus before he ascended to heaven he gave some instructions. He said, I'm going away, but my spirit is going to come. And, and, he, and he prophesied the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he called his disciples to go into the world and, and preach the gospel and baptize people and to teach them his ways. And he established the church by giving the spirit. And, and so the church today is literally the body of Christ. Every one of you as members of a local assembly and as part of the body of Christ are representatives of Jesus uh, collectively with the, with the body of Christ. We are his hands and we are his feet and we are his, uh, we are his voice that goes out to the world and, and we are his eyes as we see the needs around us. And, and we have a mission to make and mature disciples, to impact people. For eternity. Look at verse 12. Paul says this, and this is, this is kind of why he was sacrificing. This is, why, this is what it means to follow the dying of Christ. He says in verse 12, So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. Paul said, my mission, Corinthians, is you. Why am I suffering? Why am I sacrificing? Why am I dying daily? My goal is Jesus' sake, but you are how I carry that out. For Jesus' sake is about working life in others. Question for you this morning. How are you impacting other people? How are you intentionally investing your time, your effort, your words, your gifts, your encouragement, your prayer in other people? Is your life about you? Or is it for Jesus' sake? And if it's for Jesus' sake, then the mission of Jesus, to seek and to save the lost and to to not be served but to be a servant, that should be part of your mission. And and you're like, okay— and, and Paul, is, is like, as he's teaching this, is, this is not complicated, but I think there's something within us that resists it. And so in verse 13, he's going to build some arguments here. And, and he says in verse 13, he says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, and then he quotes the psalmist from Psalm 116, he says, I believe, and therefore I spoke. He says, We also believe, and therefore speak. This is a very simple argument. Paul says that in the Psalms, the psalmist said, I believe, therefore I spoke. And so Paul says, okay, so what I'm doing is I'm looking at the opportunities that God has given me with people to speak truth to them. And I know that this is what God wants me to do. And so I do it. I believe. I believe and I speak. I believe and I serve. I believe that this is what God wants for me. So with God's strength and by His grace, I invest in it. And so right now, you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know that I'm impacting a whole lot of people. And so just consider what it is that God has given you in the gospel. Consider the resources and the gifts and the opportunities that you you have. And by faith, do it. Make an impact. By the way, We're not the ones that ultimately make it. It's God's grace in us. And so this requires something. This requires a bigger, more eternal picture. Paul continues in verse 14. He says, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Do you have any difficult people in your life? People that at times when you see their face You wish you didn't see their face. Or you kind of intentionally avoid them, or perhaps it's a person you're in contact with and they're just a constant thorn in your side. Paul was having conflict with these Corinthian believers, they were suspicious of him, they questioned his motives. They questioned the fact that, that he seemed a little bit too bold at times, and, but, but he was maybe being a hypocrite because he wasn't really that bold. They were eager to move beyond his influence. In fact, we understand from the context of this letter that they had found some people who are termed super apostles. And they're like, Paul, you're just an ordinary apostle. Your time is done. We're moving past you. We found these more eminent apostles for us to follow they are experts. They're telling us things that are even more significant than what you told us. And they are in the process of dismissing him, criticizing him, gossiping about him, and rejecting him. How do you minister to somebody like that? I don't know about you, but I, I'd be ready to say, I'm not sure I need this kind of drama in my life. If you don't want me, If you don't want me, you know what? You can live without me. I'm moving on to some people that are going to be more responsive. But here's what Paul said. He said, I know something about you. I know something about the big picture. He says, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Paul said, someday I'm going to stand before Jesus with you. And I can't think of your face today. I I need to think of your face then. I need to think of you as a precious person that I have an opportunity to impact, that I have an opportunity to speak life into. And, And you may not want to hear it But I'm seeing something different. I'm seeing that future day when I can make an impact and God can be glorified. And he just kind of puts it all together in verse 15. Notice he says, he says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. I'm doing this for Jesus' sake and for you, and I trust his grace And I believe that His grace works in you. It's going to have an effect in you and beyond you. And I believe that you're going to be thanking Him for this very thing. But ultimately, God is going to be glorified with this. This is about the glory of God. Our mission is about the glory of God. So the goal of life on mission is Jesus' sake. The process is to impact others for the glory of God. But this is not enough. This is not a mission for a month or a mission for a year or a mission for most of my life until I retire and then I live for myself for the last decade. This is why each of these things need to move into a commitment not to give up. So Our goal is Jesus' sake. Our process is to impact others, and our commitment is not to give up. Paul briefly says this in verse 16. He says, For which cause we faint not. We don't grow weary. We don't become discouraged. We don't lose motivation. We don't give up because a life on mission is experiencing divine exchange. I want you to notice this. He says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. This is just a simple expression that Paul says that you are going to feel like you are losing You're losing maybe some success. You're losing maybe some prestige. You're losing some opportunities. You're losing some money. You're losing some years, good years of your life. Your outward man is perishing. He admits that. And then he says, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And the perspective is this. As we sacrifice, as we bear in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, because we're living a life on mission for the glory of God, There's no such thing as losing anything. You're just exchanging something you could never keep to gain what you will never lose. There is an immediate exchange whereby you can sense that, that I may, in a sense, be losing, but I'm gaining, and God's grace and God's strength and God's glory are present. Verse 17, it puts this in perspective, our light affliction. Which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our affliction is light, our affliction is temporary, but God's glory is weighty, God's glory is eternal. In other words, the exchange isn't just about this life, it's about the life to come. It's about both. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. We have strength that we don't know where it came from, we have joy that we cannot explain, we have purpose, we have strength, we have security, all of that is the inward man being renewed. And this takes a commitment to God's perspective because we don't always see it like this. Chances are, every one of us have heard these words from our dad at some point in our life. You know, you come home and and, you're, you know, and, and you, you're, you're saying, oh, my friends are such and such, and they're doing this thing. And, and, and your, your dad looks at you, and he says, we don't do that in our home. We don't say that in our home. That's not something that is appropriate for us. And I want you to notice in verse 18, because Paul gets to the end of this admonition, and he says essentially the same thing about the family of God. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so that brings the perspective into place that that as we look with normal eyes, as we think with normal minds, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. But we don't think that way. We don't use those eyes. We use the eyes of faith. And we think in line with the mind of Christ. So when it comes to value and the value of our life, there's the value of resting beautifully in a glass case where everything is exactly what you want it to be. Everything is perfect. And then there's the kind of value of a life that is well spent, a life on mission for the glory of God. We have won, and we have a tremendous opportunity. Our goal is Jesus' sake. Our process is impacting people for the glory of God, and our commitment by God's power is to not give up. Lord, thank you for the truth from Paul's letter that reaches beyond the Corinthians and it speaks into our hearts and lives and circumstances. Father, with what you've been doing in our hearts last week and this week and how the the Spirit of God moves in his word to draw our hearts to himself, I pray that you would indeed be doing something that would impact eternity and your glory today in our hearts. May there be a commitment to this goal May there be a desire for this process and may there be a perspective that says that this is about the big picture of what you are doing and your glory and eternity, not just the things that can be seen. Father, I pray by faith that you would grow us into the image of Christ and use us in a way that would truly impact eternity and your glory. And we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.